0: This is Psalm 62. This is God's word. Let's hear it. My soul finds rest in God alone. My salvation comes from him. He alone is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I shall never be shaken. How long will you assault a man? Would all of you throw him down? This leaning wall? This tottering fence? They fully intend to topple him. From his lofty place, they take delight in lies with their mouths they bless, but in their hearts they curse, find rest, O oh, my soul, in God alone. my hope comes from him. He alone is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress, I shall not be shaken. My salvation and my honor depend on God. He is my mighty rock, my refuge. Trust in him at all times, O people, pour out your hearts to him, for God is our refuge. Low-born men are but a breath, the high-born are but a lie. If weighed on a balance, they are nothing. Together they are only a breath. Do not trust in extortion, or take pride in stolen goods. Though your riches increase, do not set your heart on them. One thing God has spoken, two things have I heard, that you, O God, are strong, and that you, O Lord, are loving. Surely you will reward each person according to what he has done. Amen.
1: Good evening, folks. I want to say thank you to Richie for leading us off. I uh, loved that bit of time that we were given just to um, search our hearts, uh, check in with ourselves, see what's going on in our lives. Um, It's easy to come and go to a Sunday service and still not have done that. So I, I hope that'll be helpful for us as we go further on here this evening. Um, I, I'll be honest, whenever I saw um, What a Friend We Have in Jesus, I thought, um, I wonder, is that a good song? It feels like one of those old songs that that was very uh, important at a time in the past um, I don't think there could be a better song for what we want to talk about here this evening, um, and by the way, the modern songwriters don't write songs like that about that stuff. Do you know any modern songs about prayer? I don't Folks, we want to pray, but we don't know how. Um, modern life hasn't proved uh, to be particularly conducive. Um, We haven't found that prayer has gotten any easier um, as we have moved on, certainly through my lifetime. It it doesn't feel like that's been the case. Our uh, modern technologies and so on, I I suspect, uh, tend to distract us away from what's important rather than draw us further in for the most part. In 2013, Alfonso Cuaron made a movie, Gravity, uh, which I think won a lot of the Oscars in that particular year. It tells the story of Dr. Ryan Stone, a space engineer on her first trip to space, and Matt Kowalski, a veteran astronaut who was going on his final mission. After they're hit by some space debris while uh, spacewalking, uh, the movie really tells a story of their struggle for survival and we pick up the story uh, we're going to watch a short clip we'll pick up the story at a moment where ryan is beginning to fear the worst uh, that her life is probably about to end don't know whether the absence of sound made that more poignant or um, less. I'd pray for myself but I've never prayed. Nobody ever taught me how. Nobody ever taught me how. Um, Dr. Ryan Stone's not alone in the modern world, I don't think. As a person who feels unable to pray and many of us don't feel that we can n- not not maybe at all or not very well or not as we'd like. So actually that just puts us in the company of Jesus' disciples who come to him and they say, Lord, teach us, will you? Teach us to pray. So as Richie says, we're um, following a, a series um, of sermons on prayer. Um, Alexander's White's book, "Lord Teach Us to Pray," it's just a collection of prayers that he, or sermons, sorry, that he preached on the subject of prayer in his Edinburgh church. Um, whenever we divide up a, a sermon passage or a sermon series, uh, Richie and I and, and Stephen's part of that now too. Normally we're doing it by passages, so we, uh, you know, I would do a bit of scheduling, work out what I want to do and what the fellas could do. Um, I tend to get to choose. That's how it works. Um, this this we've done a little bit differently. Um, I asked the guys to get a copy of the book a few weeks ago, and I said, read the sermons and choose the one that you want to preach. Um, Stephen didn't really have that choice. He had to do the first one to get us started. Richie chose one uh, that he wanted to talk about last time out. And the one that I want to share with you is one that I put my initials beside straight off. Um, When I read this, probably three years ago, it just seared an image onto my mind that hasn't left me since. We've already read the passage, Psalm 62. I'm not preaching Psalm 62. That's not how, you, it's not how Alexander White did it. It's not how we're going to do it. It's a bit more um, choosing a, a metaphor or an idea and going much deeper. So it's quite different than what we did this morning. But if you have Psalm 62 open, it'll, it'll help you at least to see where we're coming from. In this psalm, David's expressing the total centrality of his relationship with God, right at the center of his life, uh, look at that first line: My soul finds rest in God alone. Uh, by the way, if you 're reading the psalms, I, I think a really good question to ask with each psalm there are one hundred and fifty of them, so it 's quite quite hard to get a handle on them you know it's so a good question to ask is, well, what is this psalm about? What distinctive Contribution does it make? What what is it? Uh, what's its theme? What's its big idea, if you like? And one of the ways we can find that is when we find, um, like like good poetry, sometimes repetition is used to emphasise something. So when we find in verse five the same line repeated, "Find rest, O my soul, in God alone," we're beginning to say, "Well, okay." This resting our souls in God seems to be at the heart of what this psalm's about. In verse 1, he states it. He says, my soul does find rest in God alone. By the time he gets to verse 5, he's encouraging himself to make sure that it continues to do that. He's talking to himself. He's saying, find rest, O my soul, in God alone. Whenever he came to to preach on the the passage that we're going to look at this evening, uh, one thing you'll notice if you ever do read this book or any other, Alexander White, he he knows the history of uh, spiritual literature, so he knows uh, what the fathers have written before, the early church fathers, the the medieval writers. uh, And he sees immediately a connection here in Psalm 62 Psalm 62 reminds him of Augustine's wonderful rearticulation of David's understanding in his confessions Augustine the great philosopher theologian of the 4th and 5th century he said thou hast made us for thyself o lord and our heart is restless until it finds its rest in thee if you've never heard that quotation before Hear it. It's Psalm 62 verse 1. It's one of the the key insights that God by his spirit has given to his people over the years. Thou hast made us for thyself, O Lord. Our heart is restless until it finds its rest in thee. Our heart, says Augustine, won't rest until we go to God. That's it. There's nowhere else. My heart, says David, finds rest in God, although. Whenever White comes to this psalm, this place where he recognizes with David and with Augustine before him that our hearts are only going to find rest in God, uh, he he focuses in on verse 8. He doesn't preach the whole psalm, and he makes it kind of like a mantra in the best sense of the word. He repeats it and he repeats it and he repeats it. It's one of the, the devices in his preaching. Uh, look look with me again at verse 8. Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your hearts to him, for God is our refuge. Pour out your hearts to him. That's the phrase that he goes after, that he repeats over and over again. And that's the phrase that was burned into my consciousness whenever I read his sermon those years ago. And that's where I want to take you this evening and that's what I want burned into your consciousness too. Pour out your hearts to him. might be a good moment to invite White himself into the conversation. Let's hear him preach for a moment. Now we all have hearts, he says. Whatever else we have or have not, we all have hearts. And then along with our hearts, we all have God. Wherever in all the world there's a human heart, God also is there. And he is there in order to have that heart poured out before him. And out of that, out of the aloneness of the human heart and out of the nearness of God to every human heart there immediately arises this supreme duty to every man who has a heart that he shall at all times pour out his heart before God. It's not the duty of psalmists or great saints only it's every man's duty and every man's privilege and indeed all our duties to God are already summed up in this one great duty and all our privileges are held out to us at once in this unspeakable privilege. Trust in him at all times, you people. Pour out your hearts before him. God is a refuge for us. That's only a very short excerpt out of the sermon. And you'll see he's already stacking up the, the, the ways in which he refers uses that phrase over and over again what might it look like i wonder to pour out our hearts to god well says white why don't we enter imaginatively into the life of david who gave us this wonderful psalm? what might be going on in his life what might be in his heart that he would have to pour out before god what do you remember about the life of david David's life from start to finish was pretty hard going. I don't know if you remember that. Probably had a chip on his shoulder from his childhood. You're the youngest kid in a big family and they ignore you. Do you remember when Samuel came to, to Jesse's house looking for who would be the future king? They didn't even bother to bring David along to the gathering. He didn't count. He's the runt of the litter. Nobody cares for him. In the modern in the modern world, he would definitely be ripe for counselling by the time he's twenty, and spend most of his life on on a psychologist's and psychiatrist's couch. I'm sure David felt vengeful and desired retaliation on Saul who had made an enemy of him for all those years. All he ever wanted to do was be a faithful servant to the king and all Saul ever wanted to do it seems was to kill him. All those years of exile and hardship I suspect he probably had plenty of reasons to doubt God's love and his care and his provision for him. So David's life is one of adverse circumstances. We're troubled from time to time or maybe constantly by adverse circumstances. That boss or colleague at work, that feeling of being overwhelmed with the care of our small children or aged parents, Maybe our marriage is in trouble. Bringing up teenagers. The desperation that that causes us as parents. What are we to do in times like that? We pour out our hearts to Him. We tell him what that's really like. Because God is a refuge for us. David struggled with adverse circumstances. He'll have struggled with situations in his own inner life that he probably couldn't have shared with anyone else. So there were times when he will have felt alone. That's why he says, look at look again at verse one My soul finds rest in God alone. He alone is my rock and my salvation. We we well I, I imagine that we all know what that's like. But we've had at least some times in our lives when we have felt that nobody else knows Nobody else cares. Nobody else understands. Nobody gets what's going on inside of us. What do we do in that moment? We pour out our hearts to him. White's brilliant at at this point. If if you don't mind, I'm going to read another wee chunk He's talking about that moment whenever we're sure that nobody else cares, whenever we're tempted to despair, and he says this, but then that is just our opportunity. That is just the very moment for which God has been working and waiting in our case. Do not let us miss it. Our immortal soul is in it. Our eternal life is in it. Only let us pour out all our loneliness and all our distress and all our gloom before God as David did. And all will immediately be well. I've loved reading these sermons. But when I read that line, I thought, what? All will immediately be well? So stuff's bad, nobody understands. I pour it out before the Lord and all is immediately well. What does he mean? Well, let's, let's hear him out. He says, for either God will remove our trouble at once and altogether or else he'll do better. He'll make his love and his peace so to fill our heart that we'll break out with David and we'll sing, in God is my salvation and glory, the rock of my strength and my refuge is in God. So we can pour out our hearts to him when we're in trouble. We can pour out our hearts to him when we feel alone. We can also, says White, third, we can pour out our hearts, our our sins before him. And I'm going to let White preach again. Sin is the mother of all our trouble. Get rid of the mother and you'll soon get rid of her offspring. The only way to get rid of sin as well as of sorrow is to pour it out before God. For one thing, You're often tormented and polluted, aren't you? By sinful thoughts. Now as soon as they enter, as soon as they arise, pour them out before God. I I love this. He talks in such vivid terms. He says, pour them out before they're well in. Cleanse your heart of all unclean thoughts, of all envious and jealous thoughts, of all malicious and murderous thoughts. Sweep them out as you would be saved. Repudiate them, deny them, denounce them. Let no sinful thought settle in your heart for a moment. Call aloud to God the instant you discover its presence. Wherever you are and however you're employed and in whatever company, that moment call on God. That moment pour out your heart before him. He knows all that is in your heart in that moment of temptation and he waits to see what you'll say to him about your heart and what you'll do with it. Disappoint him not. Neglect him not. Displease him not. He's told you a thousand times what you're to do in this moment. Do it. Do what David did. Do what God's tempted and tried people are doing every moment all around you. What is it they're doing? They're pouring out their hearts to him. Because God is a refuge for us. So we can pour out our hearts to him when we're in trouble. When we're alone. When we've sinned. And actually if you look again at the psalm. Especially verse 8. Look again. David invites us to trust in him at all times. There's no limit here. To the times and the places when we can pour out our hearts before the Lord, this is to become a way of life recently i've um, been re um, reacquainting myself with you know paul 's idea of prayer without ceasing. I remember when I first came across that thinking goodness what does that mean an endless what we used to call a quiet time or a church prayer meeting that never ends or or church services that just go on and on and on pray without ceasing how 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 would we do that um i was listening to can't remember if I've referenced this in a, a service here or not. I was listening to a, a podcast from James Houston, the founding principal at, at Regent College for so many years. Um, it was advent of last year, so I think he was 94 at that point or just about to turn 94. And they were interviewing Jim about his life and one of the questions towards the very end of, it, of the interview was about his, his faithfulness. You know, How do you walk with the Lord? for 94 years and still be traveling the world, telling people, uh, teaching and inspiring them. And he, he said, well, it's really only two things. Practicing the presence of God. And I'll not tell you what the other one is because it'll distract you. Practicing the presence of God recognizing that at all times he's with us and just pouring out our hearts. whatever Whatever's in there, immediately we share it. Practicing the presence of God. There's a guy called uh, Frank Laubach who has written a bit on prayer. He's sort of a, a modern mystic, I think, is what people have called him. So he's sort of, he's a modern spiritual writer and uh, he, he once came up with an idea he called it the game of minutes what he, he set himself a challenge he said what would it look like if I went through a day and tried to just recognize God's presence at the shortest possible intervals you know as, as short as, as a minute not to let a minute go by without being just somewhat aware of, of his presence I thought that was a wonderful way of thinking about it. Just to to not let not let the the moments of awareness of God's presence be six months apart, or seven days apart, but to start to close the gap. Whatever's in our hearts, pour it out before Him. Because I was uh, coming back to this uh, teaching, um, it was a good time for me to to be thinking about this a little bit, Uh, and I had an interesting experience with that this weekend. It was awful. So yesterday was just an awful day. I I, I don't know, Saturdays used to be a real um, oasis in my week um, but as the kids have got older their commitments have sort of locked me down so I'm now locked down 7 days a week it used to be I was only locked down 6 but now now it's a full 7 so yesterday was a day of you know rugby lifts and youth club lifts and, and these kinds of things and in between it was like clearing bedrooms because the painter was coming have you done that recently? don't do it don't paint it, leave it everything you move has dust behind it. It's a mess. Just just leave it. So we were doing doing this stuff and I had it in my head. Well, what does it mean to, to practice the presence of God in that? So my prayers, that my pouring out my heart was mostly along the lines of, Lord, help me not to blow up. Everything in me wants to blow up. Help me not to do it. Or, Helped me to blow up a few less times than I might have if we weren't conversing like this. And I went to bed last night and I thought, oh, I do not want to do Sunday. I don't want to be standing in the front. If anybody in the church has had a worse Saturday than me, I'd be surprised. But I tried to walk it with the Lord. And he didn't do a whole lot for me yesterday, I'll be honest. I don't know if that's okay to say. Didn't feel great. Went to bed thinking, hmm. And I woke up this morning and I thought, I don't want to preach. Um, I'd happily not be doing any of that stuff today. And I didn't really know how to preach. I'd worked at it during the week and wasn't sure of where it got to. And, you know, so it was funny. So I was doing that wee bit. If you were here this morning, you'll know I took the congregation to Exodus 19. Talked about how the Lord brings us, he saves us. He brought his people out of Egypt on the eagle's wings. Um, Just rushing out of the house this morning, Uh, whatever time, 20 past 10, was putting the milk back in the fridge after breakfast and I saw something I'd never seen before. Our fridge is covered in kid art. You know, the stuff kids bring home from school. Some of it's good. Maybe that's enough to say. Some of it's good. I didn't see ever before that there's a wee eagle that somebody's drawn sitting there. And I thought, okay. Maybe this isn't going to be as bad as I'm fearing. And then we came here and we worshipped together and we sang the song Strength Will Rise as we wait upon the Lord and we talked about how he raises us up on eagles' wings. And I just had a sense, well, maybe you're here after all. Let's keep talking. It's okay. It's like the Lord was saying, it's okay. I know you're trusting me. I know you've been pouring out your heart before me. I'm here. I am a refuge for you. Folks, whenever we pray like this if you think about it if we pour it out our hearts at all times those aren't all going to be nice prayers are they are they like not not out of my heart anyway they're going to be a a bit of a mixed bag of emotions and ideas but i think that's what the lord wants it's like a it's like if my kids come and talk to me, there's nothing bad they can say, really, if they want to tell me stuff. Do you know what I mean? Even if they're telling me stuff that's bad, it's great that they want to tell me it. There's nothing, you know, it's like a kid can't draw a bad picture for their mom and dad, can they? Like, whatever it is, it's great. It's like you can't pray a bad prayer if you're, you're pouring your heart out to the Lord. So this kind of prayer, I don't think we're too worried about how it comes out. We don't worry too much about what form it ends up in, whether it's good or whether it's bad. We simply and unpretentiously tip it out. So we tell God about our frustrations at work or in the neighborhood. We ask for food and for favorable weather and for good health. We pour out our hearts, whatever's in there, we just give it to the Lord and we talk about our families our jobs our neighborhoods and, and by the way if this sounds trivial I don't think it is I think to pray like this would not be a sign of spiritual immaturity I think not to pray like this to imagine that we don't need him that might be a sign that we haven't yet started the journey and grown folks sometimes I think we imagine or I know I do I, I'm I'm very good at imagining the Christian I'm going to be in the future whenever my life's better does that ring any bells it's all going to kick in in the great then you know once once we're married, we say, or once our careers have taken off, once the kids are up a bit, once we've got out of this bad job and into a new job, then we're, we're going to have a great life with God. It's not true. It's not true. You see, the only time God can bless me is, is now. And the only place where God can bless me is here because the only time and the only place that I've got is here and now and that's all I'll ever have. It'll always be here and now. Sounds like Van Morrison, doesn't it? Isn't it? Yeah. But that's... So coming closer to God isn't something we wait for and it's not something where we need to change our circumstances. God wants to meet us here and now Because he doesn't need anything different from us other than who we really are. Whenever we begin this this honest, prayerful pouring out our hearts before God, we just begin with where we are. We don't bluff. I haven't read C. S. Lewis's letters to Malcolm, but I would like to, because what I've heard about it is that it's very earthy and honest about prayer. Unlike some other books that are written about prayer. Lewis urges us to come to God and lay before him what is in us. Not what ought to be in us. Isn't that amazing? Bring what you've got, not what you think you should have. We don't worry about proper prayers. We just talk to God. We tell him our hurts. We share our sorrows. We share our joys freely and openly. What does God do? He listens. In compassion and love as we pour out our hearts to him. He loves it. Like a kid coming to their parent. Dad, here's what happened today. Here's why I'm happy. Here's why I'm not. And once we start to pray like this, something incredible will happen. We'll find ourselves learning to pray. Folks, I think it'd be good to take some time And as I said, I really appreciated Richie's um, giving us a moment at the start of our service to begin to, to see where we are. He said he didn't want you to pray. I'm saying, here's an opportunity to pray. It'll not be very long. If you're not praying very much these days and you're terrified of being presented with a big silence, don't worry. It'll not be too long. Five minutes. It's okay to do something else if this is terrifying. Don't worry. But if you'd like to pray, if you'd like to start to pour out your heart to Him, talk to Him about your troubles, your loneliness, your sins. anything else that you want to talk to him about Let's, let's do that Lord hear us now as we come and we take what's in our hearts and we give it to you Amen. Let me close by describing what we might expect to happen if we were willing to, to start this journey of prayerfully pouring out our hearts before God. You've heard maybe of the Copernican revolution. Copernicus was the first guy who became famous for his outrageous idea that rather than the sun moving around the earth, uh, which is what people had always believed up until that point, that actually it was the other way around, and that the sun was at the center of our solar system, and that the earth and the other planets were orbiting around the sun. We tend to imagine our lives like those pre Copernican folks. We picture ourselves at the center and everything else revolving around us. And what can happen when we pray and when we keep at it and when our hearts begin to change, evolve, and grow? There becomes a, there's a shift in the center of gravity. Suddenly we're not the center anymore. Suddenly the center becomes the center. We see God for who He is, the Son at the center of it all, around whom we orbit. So if our prayers seem a bit trivial or selfish, those five minutes that you spent, I don't know what you prayed. Don't worry the very act of praying is going to change us. It'll move us from a place where we're at the center of everything to a place where he becomes the center for us.